I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 8. If you're brand new to the program, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John at the start of the New Testament. Those are called the Gospels, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 8 this morning. There's also, for you who are pen and paper people, pen and paper people, that sounds like a bumper sticker, there's a little bulletin a handout that you guys can pull out right now and make use of with, uh, with taking some notes, if that interests you. You know, the value of hard work is something that gets lots of airtime. We talk about that a lot and, and sort of hear it talked about a lot. But if you look at our stories, our stories prove that our first love is teamwork. We love a good teamwork story. Let me just show you a few movie posters. Fellowship of the Ring is a movie franchise that's doing okay, I would say, worldwide. I don't know how many movies... Anyone know how many movies they are on now, with including the Hobbit ones? Some of you guys geek out on this and know this. It's okay to be a... How, how many? At least, yeah. So six. Is that where we're at? Okay. So Fellowship of the Ring is the idea of, you know, sworn enemies who come together and do some, some teamwork for some greater good. Uh, how about this movie, Apollo 13? This wins the award for people working together over the greatest distance, right? Houston, we have a problem is being called out from space. And so they're working together, and we love seeing that story. Some of you remember this movie, Remember the Titans, which is, of course, teamwork from those who are working with different levels of skin pigment. They come together, and they fight the battle, and they win. How about this one? This is uh, for all of you hockey fans. True story of the 1980 Olympic hockey team. And the basic message of this one is this, is that team beats out talent working solo, right? So if you get less talented people coming together for a common cause, they'll beat out people who are better than you like the Russians. That sold well in the 80s. And then how about this one? This is, of course... Family coming together, right? So all the individual parts with different skills coming together. And of course, because they're in a family, man, that just, this preaches really, really well. So these are just teamwork. I just started looking for teamwork stories. And gang, we, we love it. Our culture loves a good teamwork story. Now here's what, here's what is curious about this though, is that teamwork is known and valued and discussed and trained in almost every field imaginable, and yet it is disproportionately practiced. So it's talked about a ton, it's disproportionately practiced, and when it is practiced, it is done so very imperfectly. So much so that when a great teamwork story comes together, it's really cause for celebration. We stand up and we take notice of it. Last week we talked about this, that there are forces, there are dark spiritual forces that are working against you living as a family. Whether that be in your household or whether that you be as a church. And now the, the discussion today is all on uh, coming together in teamwork, using our gifts together. There's something called the fall, which is a man's original sin uh, that curses us from working together. That there are forces working against us being as a family and that the part of the, the fall um, is, is this curse on us that, that makes it tough for us to live together. I want to preach hope this morning because there is hope. Uh, there are these currents and drifts and things going on that are kind of pulling us in different directions uh, that sort of fight against, fight against, against, the, against this, this thing. We've been sort of referring and thinking about NBC as a sailboat. And what's exciting this morning is this. 
We know the one who, who causes the winds, right? As we sort of set sail and say, God, how can we, how can we tap into what you're doing? How can we cooperate with what you're doing? The one we were just singing to, the one we were just singing about and giving glory to and praise to with our tongue and our minds and our hearts is the one who holds the winds in his hands, right? And he is for what I'm about to preach on this morning. We're sort of wrapping up our heading series this morning, uh, but we're not he- wrapping up the heading journey. And what that means is this. We're going to continue to talk about simple and family and gifts as we move forward. We're going to continue to talk about it in meetings that go on midweek. We're going to continue to flesh this out um, as a church here on Sundays, but we're sort of leaving the, the, the series as a theme. In Luke chapter 8 is this incredible verse that sort of bridges last week's discussion about your household family. Remember, if you're a Christian, every person who's a Christian is a part of a household and a part of a church family. You're a part of two families. And sort of bridging last week about family and this week as gifts is this verse in in Luke chapter 8. And Jesus is basically delineating between his deepest, most important most in most lasting relationships uh, from from those that aren't, and here's the deciding factor. He talks about his true family when people are bringing to him his household family, and what delineates what the deepest, most important family is is not blood. It's not spending holidays together, and it's not even those who are hanging out in close proximity to Jesus. The delineation is this. It's those who do what Jesus says. So in a word, it would boil down to this. Obedience. Look at Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 19. Luke 8, 19 says this. Then his mother and brothers came to him. That's his household. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers, listen to this, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Church, what binds us together in this room is obedience. It's not our deep love and trust of the Bible. It's not our coming together to better our neighborhood. It's not the close relationships or affinity groups that might develop under this roof or because we gather on a Sunday morning. What binds us together is in the doing. It's in obeying. And obeying is what follows hearing. So because obedience matters immensely to Jesus, it really matters to us. We count how many people show up on a Sunday morning. We think it's really important to track Sunday worship figures. But we don't just count numbers of people who show up on a Sunday morning. It's really important to us to see some other things. So, in lap two of gifts, which is what we're on, here's the big idea that Ben covered a couple of weeks ago, and that is this. All have gifts, and all are to use their gifts. So when you hear gifts in the days ahead, we're talking about all members using their gifts. And that assumes that all members have gifts. And we're going to see that that is, of course, true. When you look at how God reveals himself to us, he actually reveals himself in teamwork. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct functions and roles. When you read through the scriptures, it's so powerful to see sort of what the different roles of the triune God are, and yet one. 
This is actually designed into the human body. Uh, we won't do an anatomy test here, but some of you might be able to rattle off sort of the 11 major organ systems of the human body. But let me throw a couple of them at you uh, because I got to Wikipedia before you did. So the circulatory system, the respiratory system, digestive system, the skeletal system, nervous system, reproductive system, on and on. So I want you to just sort of think about how your body is made for a second in one of those systems. And when you start to think about it and you just look and study one of those, it's fascinating. It's utterly stunning, any one of those systems. But then when you realize that all these systems come together and work together and function together to create one super system called you, it, it honestly is. It is God-glorifying to study and think about your own body. I want you to do this right now. I want you to think of in your mind or touch a certain part of your body right now. There are parts of your body you can't touch, so you'll have to just think of a very specific individual part of your body, okay? So some of you are doing that. I see that you're physically touching it. Think about what it's called. Think about what right now it is doing for you, what it is accomplishing, like what is its function. I want you just to get your head around one specific part of your body for a second. Don't worry. I'm not going to have you call it out. Just think of your body. Now, is anyone right now, raise your hand and be honest. Be honest, not because we're in church. Just be honest. Is anyone thinking of their adrenal glands right now? Anyone have that one come up? Okay. Anyone thinking of your sweat right now? Lymph nodes? Okay, we could go on. There's all sorts of parts of your body that are really, really important. And they do their function and they go on most of the time without you even thinking about it and without you ever thanking that body part, which might be a little bit weird, but go with me on that. Imagine saying goodbye to that little guy or girl, like whatever, like, you know, your lymph nodes, right, or your sweat or some, some random part that you haven't thought about in a long time. And you begin to think, you know, I've grown sort of attached to that. I would be sad to have that thing go away from me. I need that part of my body. I really want every part of my body. How about this? The fact that everything working in unison is essential for your survival. So it's not a bonus touchy-feely thing if all of your systems are getting along with each other and functioning well. It is essential to your physical survival. Most of the time, the unseen parts that get less attention are more important than the external parts that get lots of attention. One more. No one part of your body can claim superiority or independence from the rest of the parts of your body. Now, some of you biblical scholars here know this. I am preaching from God's word right now. I have just summarized several passages of scripture that use the exact same metaphor that I'm using, your physical body. It is amazing how much your body right now proclaims. We know from Psalm 19, the skies proclaim God's wonder every single day and night. It pours forth speech. Your own body preaches to you all the time. 
I'm not going to go through those passages of Scripture. Some of that I've left for your community group questions. You can go study that more on your own. But here's the big idea from our body, that unity in our great diversity brings God glory. Unity in our great diversity. I'm talking about this, the human body, and I'm talking about this, the church family, which is the body of Christ. And when you begin to plug in those ideas, no one member of the body can claim superiority over the other. No one member of the body is not needed and we're thrilled to say goodbye to. No one member of the body can claim independence from the other parts of the body. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. When one of us has a success, we don't get jealous and be mad at the skeletons doing so well and the bone healed. We all celebrate because our good and God's glory is wrapped up in the good and glory of those sitting all around you right now. Before moving on to our text, which will be 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to go ahead and turn there, I want to show you a short video. And from this video, I want you to do something. I want you to see past the sadness this man feels that sailing doesn't get its credit and that it's not on Sports Center every night, which he's clearly sad about. But I want you to see the visual. We've been using the metaphor of sailing as a metaphor for heading. I want you just to see a visual of what, of what sailing married with racing looks like and sort of get a vision for how this particular boat that God is steering uh, could make some serious progress. Check this out. I want you to know, church, I've been really praying for you over this series, and specifically about this morning, I've been praying this. I've been praying that the Spirit of God, who is still sufficient to accomplish more than we hope or ask or even imagine asking him to do, would move each of you forward in your usefulness in the kingdom of God. For some of you, that might mean going from a dead stop to believing this morning I'm a Christian, therefore I am gifted. And it begins you on a journey. To those of you who are already running and God's able to kick into another gear and fan into flame, as it were, just another giant leap forward into fields of responsibility, fields of sacrifice, fields of giving, fields of joy that you know nothing about right now and that he would enlarge your vision for that. I want you to know up front, that's what's being prayed for over you this week. I want you to look at your Bibles at 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 7. And from this passage, I really get our outline this morning, which is quite simply this, that your gifts are to be used to glorify God. Your gifts are to be used to glorify God. That may just seem like a really fall-off-the-log easy thing, like, yeah, that sounds about right, basically good. But I want to show you from this text where I get that. And I want to show you how each of those, apart from the other, it really breaks down if if we don't have this. So let me read the passage in its entirety. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7 uh, through verse 11. It says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves 
as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've broken this down this way. Let's talk about your gifts for a moment. Your gifts means this. You are gifted. Some of you, it's a giant act of faith to just say, I don't feel that way. Let the truth just be spoken over you. To be a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a false teaching. To be a Christian is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which means you are gifted. You have to receive that by faith like you receive a hundred other things by faith as a Christian. But you have to hear me today. You are gifted. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift. When you think about your body, your body all has different parts and different varied graces, but each part is contributing. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, church, we are individually members of one body. It doesn't say we're individually members of body of one body, except for those who aren't yet gifted. So we're all gifted. To let this truth sort of wash over us, let me put the burden on you. In our community groups, in our prayers for one another, in just the informal counseling that goes on of saying, hey, can I bounce something off of you really quick? Church, would you wash this truth over one another? When you hear someone say, well, I would do that, but I'm not that useful. I don't really have gifts. And sort of say those kinds of things. Call it out in love in your brother and sister and say, time out. That's not true. Don't keep believing that. That lie has a lot of people sidelined today, believing that they're not gifted. Secondly, it says this, that your gifts are to be used. There is an, there is an element of action that sort of comes with salvation. We see this with Paul. Remember, Paul is preaching to the very people who just put Jesus Christ to death. And it says, as he was preaching, their hearts were cut to the quick. The word of God did its work of surgically coming in and laying them bare. And do you remember their response to Peter as he preaches? They say, what must we do? Right? What must we do? There's an element that says, when I'm convicted of my sin, dear God, I should do something. That's a really appropriate response. And we see that also in the life of Jesus. Jesus offers himself to this scoundrel named Zacchaeus, right? And if you grew up in church, you probably colored him. And, you know, he was where? He's up in a tree like a parrot, you know, and all that. And Jesus offers himself to this scoundrel who's ripping off his countrymen from the invading, occupying Romans. And what does he do? He receives him. He receives Jesus. And what we see in the Gospels is this, that he pledges to give half of what he has to the poor. He's been ripping people off for years, stockpiling stuff for himself. He just pledges right away, I'll give half my stuff away. And if I've ripped anyone off, I'll pay them back. Not just what I owe them, but four times over. That's way more than the law demanded of him. Action, doing something, comes with salvation. When John the Baptist is preaching in Luke chapter 3, 
The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics should share with him who has none. Tax collectors were there. They were going to be baptized. Teacher, what should we do? He says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers came to him who were being baptized. What should we do? He says, don't extort money from anyone by false accusation or threats and be content with what you have. Do you see the different groups? They're coming all from different walks of life. We should do something. We're convicted of our sin. We have to change course. What should we do? And he gives them some very basic, simple things. Here's what's powerful. When you first come in front of your sin, God shows you who you really are. It shows you who he really is. There's a sense we should do something, and the first order of business is stop doing rotten stuff. Is John the Baptist's advice crazy out there? No. If you have two things, like share with people. If you're a tax collector, don't take more than you should. That's called stealing. If you're authorized with physical use with soldiers, don't threaten people and bully people. Use it to serve people. This isn't outlandishly interesting advice. It's just common sense. But move from stop doing rotten stuff. Here's what God does. He gives us new desires. He gives us new joys. And we start doing glorifying stuff, right? So it's not just that we stop doing rotten stuff and get stuck in no man's land. We're to start doing God-exalting stuff. As John puts it, it's this. It's called bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. You say that you've repented, your life ought to bear fruit. You ought to be living in a different way. Verse 10 says that we're to use it to serve one another. What good is a gift if it's just placed in a drawer and never used. How dishonoring is that to the gift giver? Here's the kicker for us. God has gifted every new believer. It's one of your birthday presents as being a born-again Christian. He gifts you with things. It's not just dishonoring to the giver of the gift. It is disobedient to the giver of the gift. And I'm showing you that by the text today. Here's the third part. Your gifts are to be used to glorify God. Look at verse 11. It says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to have gifts and believe that and then put them into practice and use them. Again, a part of the false curse is that we're just fleshly people battling the flesh, putting it to death. So what happens is we start to take our gifts and use them, and they can morph over time. Not they can. They do morph over time to be just done in the flesh. So we are to do them in a very specific way. That means this. A few things matter. If you're taking notes, write this down. That motive matters. One of the things we talk about with every single team here at this church regularly is that the motive, the why of what we're doing is probably actually more important than what we're doing. That there's a cancer that can kind of grow in us as we do things uh, in the flesh. There's a few groups that I think we talk about this more than anyone. One group is this. Those who have done something for a really long time and get better and better at it, and God actually blesses more and more, and there's more and more impact and reach, are at a greater temptation level to start doing that thing in the flesh. Because when you're brand new at something, you've never done something before, you're scared to death to be doing it, 
The whole time and every moment leading up to it, you're saying, dear God, help me. If you don't show up, this is going to be a mess. And there's deep dependence. But isn't it true that God shows up and you just go, man, that was terrifying. But God, I obeyed you and I opened my mouth and I did it. That was exhausting and scary. But I went to that thing and I served and I, and I did some things. And God, you showed up. You did things that were beyond me. And then you do that a second week and a third week and a fourth year and a tenth year. And pretty soon it's very, very easy to start doing something in the flesh that really has no value unless the spirit is working through you. That's one group. Here's another group. Those who are most visible in the church and those who are least visible in the church. I was just reviewing. I think I, think I have this conversation of motive most with people. The band, I want you to know, the band and I regularly spend time guarding against pride and just saying, God, like we, we want to just say out loud this morning in case anyone in this room has forgotten or in case this comes out, we are not here for ourselves. We don't want people to walk away glorifying us, thinking that things were great from this, that, and the other thing. Please make this all about you. Cut out in our hearts anything that is prideful. That's one group. The second group are those who serve regularly and are never mentioned, you never see, and, and they just serve faithfully. The first group, I think pride is sort of that little cancer that can grow in that. But in the second group, it could be resentment, right? Where you're just serving and serving and serving. You never get recognition. You're just doing your thing. And motive matters, So we have this conversation with different teams around here. Hey, if you're serving and no one ever sees you, great, you're a liver. Like, livers are really important. And they never make the cover of Vogue magazine, ever. So keep serving. Do not serve this out of the flesh. Do not do this out of paying God back. Do not do this for man's praise, because you're not going to get it. So we talk about motive a ton around here. Here's another thing that matters. Quality matters. When we're doing something to the glory of God, quality matters. That means this. Bring your all to it. If you're doing something in ministry, if you're using your gifts, bring everything that you are to it. Leave it all on the field for you athletes is the idea. You're doing this for the king. Like, don't do this halfway. Here's another thing that matters. Integrity matters. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that's a pretty big umbrella, do all to the glory of God. That makes nothing that you do out of sight for God. That means really all that you do is your ministry. So here's what this means. Here's why we say integrity matters. If you are living this way at home, don't think that you living this way at home and just being able to like flip a switch and suddenly living this way in the church and in your ministry and in this, that, and the other thing is the right thing to do. So many people have been burned in the church because that's gone on. Let me tell you this. The greater influence you have at this church, the greater invitation you are giving to me and my fellow elders into your life and your home and your practice. That means this. Community group leaders, I have every right, and they know this. I will come and ask them, brother, how are you doing in your walk with God? What are your temptations? How can we be in prayer? Let's watch out for each other. Because integrity matters. Use your gifts, but do it for God's glory. Do it in a way that pleases him. 
There's two huge dangers to avoid that this passage speaks to, and that is this. And these are really common. Hiding out in the church and burning out from the church. You've probably heard of burning out, right? Familiar term? Here's what I mean by hiding out. People hide out in the church. And when they're pressed as to why they're not serving or using their gifts, either from a fellow church person or someone in leadership, oftentimes there's a grumbling. Well, I don't really know how. No one's leading me. I'm not sure how to, how to do this. Now, granted, I think churches, we could do a better job of having more entry-level type positions for people. But here's the, here's the beauty of this church that I've seen over year, year after year after year. Tons of you. I'm looking at faces of people who invented their own entry-level position because they were just hungry to serve. They were basically like this, put me in, coach. And, and I'm like, man, I, let me pray about that. Like, I, I, I hear you, I see you. Thank you for making yourself visible. And God slots the timing of those things in some really cool, powerful ways. But if you say, put me in, coach, and come back to me several weeks later and you're like, hey, anything, anything needed? and we've talked about your gifting and your fit and your role, and I'm like, well, I just don't want to put you in anywhere, but we do have these needs. I'll do it. Put me in. I'll do it. Others of you have come and said, hey, is anyone doing this? I'm in conversation right now with someone who says, it looks like you need help in this area. Anyone doing that? No one's doing it. Can I do it? Yes. So tons of people at this church have invented their own entry-level position to say, can I just do this? Can I accomplish this? Can I contribute to this church family. And it's a joy as one of the shepherds here to see that go on. Here's the solution. Churches should keep it visible and known of how to get involved. I'm going to communicate some clear things that we have all the time available to you and some ways we want to really grow in this. Additionally, Christians should urgently seek out how they can contribute. Our passage says this, the end of all things is at hand. Friends, we're not guaranteed 2020, are we? We don't know that that's just going to look just like this. We can get lulled into service after service, program after program, trip after trip, and just think it's all going to go on the same thing. There's some urgency here that needs to come with exercising our gifts. How about burning out? Burning out is this. You join a team, you make a commitment, you come and you show up, you're super enthusiastic, and before long you think, I'm going to die. I never want to do this again. I don't ever want to join a team again. I don't ever want to do this ministry again. If I lead one more Bible study, I will go out and sail the world the rest of my life because I don't want to be around people. Now, if you have burned out in a ministry before, let me say this. There is usually, there is usually shared blame. We try really, really, really hard to make sure people are functioning in a really healthy way here. You see from this stage, we celebrate off-ramps. That means we celebrate when people say, I've been holding this burden in the church joyfully. I now equally joyfully lay it down. It is no longer my time to do that ministry. You know what we say to that? Woohoo! We have a party. We celebrate that. We also celebrate when someone else steps up and picks that up and says, to God's glory, I'm going to use my gifts and do this to the best of my abilities and move this thing forward. There's also blame on the individual, though. Like, as someone who might be managing you or leading you or coaching you in your ministry, they can only get what you give to them. If they check in with you and do what the system says to say, hey, how are you doing? We want to make sure that we're functioning out of, out of, the, out of the spirit and not out of the flesh. Are we doing this out of anger, out of resentment, out of paying God back? How are we doing? 
and you give the all thumbs up week after week after week and one day explode, that's on you. That's on the individual. The person who's been trying to speak into your life uh, can't help you with that. Jesus says this, take my yoke and learn from me. We looked at that the very first week. Jesus had very busy seasons, but I don't ever get the sense that he was, he was hurried and panicked and stressed. How are you doing, Jesus? Not so good. I've got a ton on my plate right now. If anyone could say it, it could probably be Jesus, but he didn't. So he operated in very, very busy seasons, so busy he couldn't take a meal, and yet he did it in a healthy way. I think a sure antidote to either burning out or hiding out is something that we've talked about for a couple of years now, and I just want to put a graphic up that hopefully will refresh your memory. It's this simple idea. Rest in the finished work so that you can strive at the good work. Here's what this means. Mark chapter 16, 19 says this. So the Lord Jesus was taken up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. We know this, but I'll say it out loud. It is not your good works that save you. It is good news that saves you. Rest in that. Rest in the finished work. Jesus sat down because his work was finished. It's settled. That is so huge to your motive. That is so huge to your health moving forward in ministry. Now, go and strive at the good work. There's a so that. This finished work has an effect. It leads to good work. It is finished doesn't mean that we are finished. We are left here with a mission. So the resting that is there is not for us to sit on our lawn chair. It is to move us forward so that we can strive at the good work. All right. Let me close our time with this. I want to give you some very concrete ideas on how to fan the flame and move you forward in this. First, I want to give you a biblical concrete passage, and then I want to move on to some things at NBC. Romans chapter 12 speaks very specifically to some things. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Again, Paul felt compelled to say, let's actually put them into use. It's not enough to have them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's some concrete handles on how to walk forward with this at NBC. People have already asked since Ben talked and probably would ask after this week as well, but people ask, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? That's a great question. One tool that we have available to us, there are some online assessments. In fact, I think Ben posted on the city a little while ago some online assessments that can kind of give you sort of a basic framework. What are the spiritual gifts and how do I know if I'm gifted in this way or that? Secondarily, there's some different tools that are out there. SHAPE is something that um, Rick Warren developed a long time ago. It's a little acronym that, that talks about how spiritual gifts 
go along with your heart and your abilities and your personality and your experiences. And we're all 3D complex people, aren't we? And so, you know, people who are gifted the same way uh, express it in very different ways. That's a really, really helpful acronym. The Myers-Briggs test, some of you know exactly what I'm an INFP or whatever, you know, some of you know this well, some really fascinating good stuff with, with both of those. If you're ignorant of both of these and you can't memorize the SHAPE acronym or anything, huge sigh of relief. You know why? God has provided resources for all Christians everywhere with this much money in their bank account. He's given them all that they need for life and godliness. The reason this is a huge sigh of relief is this. For free, in terms of one more conference, one more book, one more principle to memorize, none of that. When I look at these two things, here's how big they are in relation to these two things. You want to know what your spiritual gifts are? Walk in fellowship and friendship in your church. Just begin to walk in fellowship and friendship in your church, and God will begin to shine light on this. Isn't it true that God so often speaks through brothers and sisters into our life? And they say, man, when you open your own, whenever I come to your home, I, I just, I feel like I'm a VIP. And the person doing that is like, what? All I did was, and they rattle off like 27 things that they did, and they genuinely think it's no big deal. And you go, no, no, no. But all of those things make a huge impact on me. And not everyone does that. And so many times spiritual gifting comes with, and when you do that, the church is blessed. When you do that, God really speaks to me. When you do that, I feel encouraged to do other things. We hear from other people and God moves us forward. How about Bible and uh, reading and prayer and obedience? When you take your Bible, and you open it, you set apart Christ as Lord, and you just receive with meekness the implanted word, and you say, God, I'll just do whatever you want. You're the one in charge. I'm not. And he says, well, here's how you should be living. Here's what walking in a manner worthy of love. We already read this. Show hospitality without, without grumbling. Oh, okay. I guess I'll, I guess I'll reach out and, and do something to someone. And you begin to do that. And as you take steps of obedience, God reveals more and more, and he opens to you other doors of ministry. You want to discover your spiritual gift. Please don't go sit at home in front of your computer and take every spiritual gifts assessment test in the world and then wait and wonder. Walk in fellowship and friendship. Read your Bible and obey. How do I obey and put my gifts to use? I want to say our church has a long way to grow in this. I think we've done some things in this area really, really well. And we have a long way to grow. We're committed to moving our members forward in using and discovering their gifts. Your leadership is committed to that. The main way that we have for this, unless you hear this and go, well, that's not new, listen carefully. The main way we have for this is called community groups. Let me share with you Almost one year ago, just under a year ago, last fall, as we had all of our community group leaders together in what we call a community group leaders huddle, and we were about ready to launch our our home groups, our community groups, for the fall season. Here is what I said at that meeting. In every group, we need people who teach, counsel, disciple, pray, visit hospitals, lead in worship, invite new people, 
welcome in those new people, organize share events, which is our code for outreach type things, and there's some etc. etc. Those are nine different types of people every single community group needs. I went on to say this, that this debunks the myth that a few in the church are gifted. They're supposed to do the, their thing and all the rest of us watch. Not true. Community groups provide a breeding ground for those with larger capabilities to be discovered. And part of how that happens is this. We challenge our community group leaders. Do you know your community group members gifting? Do you pray along those lines? Do you challenge and nudge them toward what they should be doing? Sometimes it starts with this. Hey, a new person is coming this coming Wednesday night to group. Would you just attach yourself to that person and make sure that they're not left alone? And when that person does that in your group, you discover, man, you are great at that. You need to do more and more and more of that. When we talk about community groups and uh, beyond that, let me just say this. There are formal and informal roles that are going on all the time. We're a fairly small organization on purpose. We've streamlined ourselves to a lot of things. That means there's a ton of informal ways that gifts are being used. Here's some things that are available to you at any given time. Communication cards. That's the little... card that is sitting in your seat back right there. On the back it says, I would like to serve by. Any single week, you can write something down, drop that in the offering, hand it to one of the pastors or elders, and you will begin a conversation of getting you onboarded to using your gifts. 24 hours a day, that card lives on our website. A second thing is membership. If you become a member, every single biblical picture of the church, by the way, doesn't say attend this thing, it says join this thing. You're a flock, you don't attend a flock, you join a flock. You're a body, you don't attend body performances, you are a part of the body. Army, you don't say, I'd like to just be an observer. You enlist and you join and you participate. Every biblical metaphor of the church. So as a member, let me tell you two things that will happen. When you first become a member, you will have a conversation. I love looking around this room and going, I remember sitting down with you and discussing, do you know what your spiritual gifting is? And some people say, yeah, over the years, I've really seen God bless this, this, and this. We have the conversation about your gifting and the expectation and the need and the pleading. We, we need you. We will be less of a church if our membership isn't using their, their God-given gifts. So we have that conversation. But secondly, there's a certain accountability that goes on. As elders, we, we take seriously that we're to, to give an account for our membership. So once you become a member, there's an added level of just accountability and scrutiny that we're going to come and loop back with you and say, hey, it's been several months. We had that conversation. Anything God's telling you, is there any way? In fact, I had a conversation before this service started, an exciting new field of opportunity for, for a couple that says, hey, we, we think God's leading us in this direction. Awesome. Let's have a conversation and move that forward. Finally, I want to just give you a quick sort of working demo of the city. It's going to be very, very quick. And what I want to do is this. I want to highlight for you how very useful the city is. And I'm going to come and join you out here because it will be easier to see. The first thing I just want to kind of zoom in and show you is right at the top are these different tabs. And when you come to prayers, this is something that many of you make use of, uh, but I want to show it to you. This is a very active part of the city. 
And if you want to know, what are the needs in our church? How can I be helping? What can I be doing? Begin to just look this. John posted this yesterday. Uh, we've been tracking, many of us, this post that, that Laura put up a long time ago. There's 51 views and responses going back and forth of how we can remain updated in prayer. Here's the original post. Here's as people have just weighed in. Hey, what's the update? How can I be doing this? And this is a way for us as a church family to, to stay engaged with that. I want to come back out here to the main menu and go back to the top and show you needs. These are, these are things waiting for us at any given time for us to, to look at. This was one, uh, one child care worker needed kind of last minute. Someone jumped in and made it happen. I want to show you this on the side, on the side tab. Service opportunities is something that we've used, but it's empty right now. It clears out every two months. So we are going to be diligent as ministry leaders to repopulate this. And you say, well, how on earth am I supposed to know how, uh, how to help people? Go to the needs tab and look. How can I be praying for individuals? God's put on my heart to be praying for my brothers and sisters. Go on there and look. And furthermore, post things. And as that gets populated and used and more of us use it, it will be an amazing tool for us. Let me invite Lindsay and Travis to come on back up right now. I want to just tell you, in a handful of weeks, we're going to explore this with some, some more concrete examples, but I want to just celebrate a few wins. On a regular basis, you don't think about this, but we have year after year after year of some really faithful elders serving as our shepherds, and, um, and they just serve quietly and faithfully year after year. That's a win. We have a pastor-director team that, I say this from the front periodically, but they really let me treat them as if they are paid staff. And they serve and give in some very big sacrificial kinds of ways. Furthermore, happening today, uh, Jamie P.A. put a post out on the city about the youth ministry taking over children's ministry and just giving sacrificially. Uh, James Humphrey recently put a post on the city just opening up his life and celebrating what God's taken him from a couple of years ago to where he is today. You may know that James and Allie have been praying to stay in the area. God's opened up just huge doors for them to stay in the area and live. Happening in a couple of hours is this. I show up at the church. I'm the first one at the church, so I thought, and James is waiting at the front door. Hey, James, how you doing? What's going on? I'm here to do coffee, do the setup. He just started a few weeks ago taking over the coffee and donut ministry. I said, awesome. Good to see you, bro. I said, hey, when's the big move happening? He goes, well, actually, it's happening today. I said, it's happening today? Yeah, you're moving today? Yeah. Why are you here? (laughs) Like, you should be moving your family, I think. He said, well, I didn't want this to get left undone. So I'm here. I'm going to do the coffee. I'm going to do the donuts. But I can't stay for service. Sorry, I've got to go move my family to a new home. I'm like, I get it. (laughs) How's the help? Oh, the help's good. I've got this person, that person, this person. Then he mentions two people from our church. Actually, a third person from our church, at least three. And they're going after service to go and help him. These connections are made, again, through simple using of the city, through conversation. And here he is, just a heart to come and serve in the midst of his busy life and moving and doing these different things. Gang, I want you to know, if you are jumping in for the first time to this church family in serving, you, you are immediately joining just this amazing family that's accomplishing some phenomenal things in the Lord. And I'm excited for you. I'm super excited for you. Let me pray. We'll close with a couple songs. God, thank you that, uh, that we come here on Sundays to remind ourselves of the finished work of the cross. 
that you defeated the mocking voice of sin in our life. You defeated the gloating, terrifying voice of death and threats that are hurled our way. God, we do rest in that. And I thank you that with all the energy that you give us to muster, God, you lead us forward. Father, would you fill us and stir us and move us forward uh, as a church, God, that as each individual builds their family, God, that we would actually be building one another up to what you would want for your church. In Jesus' name, amen.